welcome to the second episode of our Wellness From Home podcast series. The Wellness From Home podcast series is all about knowledge and skills that we can offer to help you be effective while you're working remotely and for you to either start or maintain your healthy habits. Before we begin this episode of the podcast series and introduce our guest, a few websites that you can use to take advantage of towards your health and wellness goals include first our join zestwellness.com link. This is where you can enroll in the Zest Wellness platform, which is powered by Virgin Pulse. We also have another link, which is zestwellnesscgi.com. This is where you can find our prior podcast episodes, as well as our webinars and our blog. And then lastly, you can also find Zest Wellness on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It is now time for our second episode of the Wellness from Home podcast series. For this episode, we have Glenn from the Zest Wellness team. Before coming to Zest Wellness, Glenn has over 15 years of experience in health and human performance. As from this time, he developed his personal wellness philosophy, which is you must make quality investments in yourself before you can truly make yourself valuable to others. When he's not busy being a father of five, a multi-sport athlete, he's reading books with his favorites being The Way of the Superior Man and The Four Agreements. What Glenn enjoys most about his role on the Zest Wellness team with Colonial Group International is the opportunity for him to be client-facing and collaborating with a like-minded team. And now, our episode with Glenn. All right, Glenn, welcome to this episode of the Zest Wellness podcast. Great, thanks for having me. Fantastic. So we're going to kick things off by picking your brain on exercise, movement, uh, the whole big picture of things being kind of our health and wellness at home while we're at home. Um, So let's start broad and let's go with um, what are your comments on any major adjustments um, our listeners should think about or do? Uh, when it comes to training or their healthy habits uh, with their home environment. Any any thoughts to start things off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for that question, I'd give a, a three-part answer. Um, in short form, it's one, fundamentally, uh, none. Um, logistically, a few. And technically, none. So fundamentally, um, what I mean by that is, is that you know, you still can stick to your same 
um, routine, if you want to call it that, where you're, you might work out at a certain time um, each day. Um, or you may go through certain specifics, you know, um, preparations for your exercise. You may, um, you know, you may log your, you may log what you do. Um, so things like that, you know, for on a fundamental level, doesn't necessarily have to change. What does change is the environment. And that kind of takes me to the logistics part of it. Um, so logistically, I mean, obviously it will be based on what's accessible to you. You know, you may have certain preferences or you may put a certain emphasis on your program. So, for example, if you're a big time weightlifter, well, at home, you may not necessarily have all the equipment that's ideal um, available to you. So, you know, adjustments may, may need to be made in that in that sense. But that kind of takes me into the technical part of it, whereby everything that you do in the gym from a movement perspective can technically be executed at home. It's just that you don't have the modalities, um, you know, to be a bit more practical, like uh, like barbells and dumbbells and things like that to really manipulate your program. However, um, from a technical perspective, all the movements are still the same and you can still apply all those to your regimen. You just need to make the um, necessary adjustments when it comes to like intensity and loads and things of that nature. Again, because you may not have things um, available to you as you typically would in like the gym environment. Okay, so so let's circle back a little bit uh, in a few minutes more to that uh, technical advice you just kind of alluded to in terms of uh, you know movement and motion and and maybe just you know I, I know you're big on goal setting. Um, what about if we start kind of let's let's start at at baseline for for individuals who are just setting goals right now uh, yeah. with their transition to home exercise um yeah what do you say just kind of as a beginning question in terms of them and goal setting do they need to make any changes right now well then you know you know i think the goal setting part my my, my short answer for that would be well it really depends um, and what it depends on, again, I kind of touched on it in, in my first, um, first, my answer to my first question, um, is your accessibility. What is, what is accessible to you? So equipment, assessment tools, etc. Um, so, you know, when it comes to goal setting, there may be certain, um, things that you utilize to assess your progress, um, assess your, you know, your your physical attributes things like that um so for example you know there's special scales or um you know different types of, of equipment to really um test your or, or assess your progress over time well that may not be available to you so in in that instance you know you know that's where i, I come up with the conclusion that it kind of really depends on on what you have so yes and no is is would be the the short answer to that question Okay, fantastic, and and also before we we jump into more of the the technical piece, individuals may even just be it's such a difference for them now being sedentary and being since they're at home, um, you know they're less steps, uh, they're they're burning less calories, and and so weight gain becomes that much more uh, easier. For, for all of us, right? Because calories in versus calories out. Exactly. So, so what do you what do you think of even about about weight management at this point in time when it comes to individuals uh, being at home much more often than they usually are? 
Well, fundamentally, you've already hit the nail right on the head. You said calories in versus calories out. So it's basic addition and, and subtraction. Obviously, it's not that simple um, because there are some things to kind of consider when you're doing that. Um, first of all, um, you're absolutely right. You need to, to manage your weight. You need to try to come in um, at a caloric deficit. I think that's pretty fundamental to ensuring that, you know, the scale doesn't go out of whack. Um, but it also depends on what your, you know, what your goals are. Um, so I think a couple tips that I can, I can give in terms of like advice for managing this is to kind of know your BMR. And if you don't know what BMR stands for, it's basically your, your basal metabolic rate. Um, and that is to say how many calories you actually burn in a resting state. So these are calories that you burn just being Nathan, just being Glenn, just being Tom, just being Susie. It actually requires no um, physical activity um, on your part or no movement-based um, initiative to actually have these calories expended. These are this, this energy expenditure is just based on your normal everyday respiratory functions and just physiological um, existence. So you put out a certain amount of calories each day just being who you are. So, But the thing is that that varies from person to person. So there's not a, um, a set number for everyone. So for you, it could be 1,200. For me, it could be 14. For this person, it could be 16. But I think the long and short is understanding what that number is that way you kind of know how much money you have in the bank, so to speak. And I think that's a good way to look at it um, because that lets you know how much room you have for error, so to speak. So let's say hypothetically, if I consume 2000 calories a day, well, I know for sure that I at least put out 1200 if that's my basal metabolic rate. So I have an 800 calorie cushion, so to speak to make sure that based on my basal metabolic rate or my resting metabolism alone, um, that, you know, I have at least 800, 800 more calories that I can consume, you know, before I'm, I'm, I go beyond my deficit. <clears throat> Did that make, does that make sense about the BMR? Yeah. And, and, and beyond someone's BMR, their basal metabolic rate that mm -hmm. they're, that they're essentially born with, um, were you mentioning that there's there's still other ways like individuals don't have to just count on winning a lottery and having a good BMR or not, but there's these other like normally you're saying your activity would would help complement yes. your BMR. Absolutely. So having the next point is having an idea of your um, of your expenditure that's movement based. So that's like your voluntary activities, like you know. Um, having to get out of bed, going up the stairs, things like that, that are like inadvertent exercise, if you want to look at it that way. So if I factor in my house cleaning and things that I have to do throughout the course of my day, I burn a certain amount of calories doing that stuff. But when it comes to actual structured exercise, that's a whole different story. Um, it's movement-based, but you know, you're actually planning this, this initiative. Um, so having a good understanding of both um, is also a good idea. And then basically you would take that number combined and you would just add it to your basal metabolic, basal metabolic rate or your resting metabolism. And you'll know how many, you have a rough idea of how many calories you've actually put out. Um, and then coupled with, um, having an idea of what your caloric consumption is, 
um, is super helpful. And just making sure that you're, you continue to be sensible with your portion sizes and things like that when it, when it comes to um, nutrition is a really good idea. Um, so that's pretty much, I think in summary, that kind of ticks all the boxes of, of managing your, your calories per se, um, to make sure that you come in at that deficit that I, that I spoke about. Awesome. And then to reiterate what you're just mentioning is that even small, tiny habits, like walking up and down the stairs is something that of course increases your activity levels and helps us. With, with these this calorie inverse calorie out so you're saying we should not even don't don't overlook even just the small things like like taking the stairs an extra couple of times in the house absolutely awesome um let, let's move on we said we'll, we'll circ we wanted to circle back to more kind of the technical side of, of exercise and our, our selection of exercises at home and then maybe glenn if you don't mind uh, just knowing how, how strong you are in this area Maybe if you mind walking us through, uh, a, like if you were doing a movement right now, walking us through what's your body doing right now or any sort of um, interactive part you can say um, to get us kind of how can we actually be more be technical with moving our bodies right now? Well, like I um, alluded to earlier, I think uh, the most challenging part of, of this is just not necessarily having um, – the things accessible to us that we typically do when we're when we're doing our regimens and i think you know the best alternative to that is making sure that you still execute the same movements that you would in that environment but just being mindful of the fact that you know you just don't have you know the equipment to create the load that you want to um but you can still maintain your strength um by you know perhaps just kind of manipulating your sets and reps. So if you're a big time um, weightlifter and you know, you want to, you want to focus on like intensity and stuff like that, well, that may not be necessarily possible, but you could do the same. Let's use the bench press. For example, you can do like, instead of doing sure you can't do 225 pounds on the bench press, but in order to add intensity perhaps you can do like a an isometric hold when you're doing push-ups which would be a good alternative to the bench press um so again even though you know i don't have this piece of equipment available to me i'm still executing the movement mechanically speaking it's just that i'm adding a thing to it in order to alter the intensity to to somewhat try to replicate what i would be doing in the gym if i had my you know if i had my barbells and my plates and so that's interesting, Glenn. So you're saying to, to go that to that example of of bench press. So if someone normally does bench press while they work out, that's kind of a stable or a staple exercise for them. Yeah. You're saying now at home, uh, this isometric hold is is kind of what they can do. And do you mean? Tell me if I got this right. Isometric hold would be you'd hold a push up uh, mid mid-range of motion or you'd hold it kind of as between you know your low point your high point of a push-up you just kind of hold it there for a little bit yeah exactly you can do it midway through you can do it at the bottom what would be the bottom of the rep you actually um you know touch the ground or you can do it at the top so you can actually manipulate um you know different positions which would give 
um, different intensities of stimulation to the muscles that you're trying to target. In this case, that would be your, you know, your pecs or your chest muscles. So yeah, absolutely. And it may not necessarily be an equivalent um, intensity wise, but it's, it's pretty close to replicating what you're trying to accomplish and would be, you know, the best alternative considering that you have, you don't have that equipment. Yeah. And what about, what's your take on if, if, if that's one advice for listeners, you know, being a, a, a push up, um, but in particular having the, the different isometric holds in a push up position, what about, is there anything for the lower body, you know, normally individuals, let's say maybe normally they're, they're runners, uh, or normally they, they do a lot of squats while they're at the gym. Is there anything at, at home they could do with, with their body, with their movement to, to still somehow stimulate their lower body muscles or keep things flexible, keep things uh, in, in tip top shape? That way when they return to the gym afterwards, they're, they're, they risk, uh, they minimize their risks for injury. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, a, a, like the upper body example that I gave, you can you can still do your if you typically squat or lunge or things like that. You know, in most cases, people are using loads when they do that. Um, it's not impossible to find creative ways to add a load. Um, maybe you know, maybe use a couple gallons of water um, if you want to do that. Um, that way, you're still you're still um, getting some type of resistance based exercise. But in terms of the actual um, biomechanics behind it, nothing really has to change. Um, nothing really has to change. You can still, you know, if you like to do rock bottom squats as long as your your knees um, permit and you have healthy joints, you can still do those rock bottom squats. It's just that, you know, you just don't necessarily have, um, you can't necessarily apply the same intensity because you're, you're just what's available to you. But again, I gave a good example. for your kids over your shoulder if you want actually i don't recommend that but um i'm just <laughs> i'm just giving examples yeah you can think outside the box a little bit to try to achieve as close to the same thing as possible awesome yeah you're, Sorry, I hope I your question i hope i answered your question with, with that yeah. answer and, okay. it, and hopefully i know what was going through my mind when i heard that was hey, for the lower body, you might not be able to, to put a bar over your shoulders like you normally would in the gym, but you can still do that that range of motion, like that squat, like that lunge. Um, and you can also you can do the isometric hold as well, um, you know, which is which is basically you lifting your body weight, you know. So absolutely, same application applies. Great. And let's let's wrap up this this uh discussion on um injury so you know or because maybe even individuals now they're they're since they have you know they're at home and they have more time on their hands now they're trying these healthy habits for the first time so whether it be someone who is trying to uh make adjust adjustments to maintain their their movement uh, schedule or whether it's someone trying these movements for the first time what is your take on on injuries preventing injuries or what we could do to help us in that area um well the the first key to um to managing to managing injuries would would be one trying to prevent them um so that just kind of goes back to the fundamentals for me just making sure that you do an adequate warm-up um, and you know, what is an adequate warm up? Well, you know, a general warm up would, would be 
doing a activity for a period of time that will um, you know, increase your core tissue temperature by at least one degree and get you respirating above 120 beats per minute. Um, so just basic things like that um, and making sure that, you know, you give your body time to, to warm up properly. So, it's, you know, that fundamentally is, is, would be my, my first answer to the prevention side of it. So, but that would be the general warm up. But if you know that you're going to engage in specific movements and you know you're going to engage specific muscles, um, I would recommend doing dynamic stretches or movement-based stretches that are going to get those muscles firing and prepared for the, um, you know, whatever type of exercise you plan to put those um, specific muscle groups through. So prevention is my first, um, is my first answer. Okay. But sometimes... Sometimes you may, you know, you may go through those, um, go through that process and, and, you know, fate is just not on your side and you just still you might misstep and roll your ankle or uh, for some reason you just end up tweaking your hamstring. Um, you know, injuries still do happen. I know they happen to me um, as well. So I can kind of speak on that. And I think it's, it's regardless of what level um, you're trained at, you know, it's anyone susceptible to an injury. Because like I said, it can be a misstep, and it may not necessarily mean that you did something wrong. It's just not your day. Um, or there can be something else underlying there that you're not aware of. Um, but in any case, in this instance, you know, when you're restricted to your home and, you know, you really can't get out if you sustain an injury, um, there's a there's a basic protocol that you can follow. And it's, it's, um, it's we, we call it RICE back in, the, uh, back in the day when I was in school. Um, and basically what that stands for is rest, ice, compression, and elevation. And this is your means of treating an injury. Um, so in the acute phase, which is, you know, immediately when you get the, the injury and over the next couple of days, you want to make sure you ice the injury first, because typically when there's any injury, especially soft tissue injuries, um, there's inflammation, um, you know, this comes with, this could, this could also be obviously with um, ankle sprains and things like that. But you want to ice that for 20 minutes at a time, probably, you know, two to three times a day, um, just to make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get it treated and um, you get on the fast road to recovery. Um, and again, this is, this is with it in mind that physio may not be available, you know, to you and you may need to, to self-treat this. Um, so cryotherapy is your first step, which is just, you know, cold remedies. Um, if you have pain and, and you have inflammation, another thing that you can do is you can just take some NSAIDs. If, if you're, you know, if your current, if your pre-existing, um, you know, state of health allows it. Um, so NSAIDs is basically just non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. More practical example of that is like ibuprofen, naproxen. Um, as long as, you know, again, your body agrees with that and there's no underlying conditions that would restrict you from, from consuming those, those types of drugs. Um, and then you can also elevate. Um, so when you're sleeping at night, let's say you have an ankle injury, um, and it's swelled up on you pretty bad. So to complement the icing that you're already doing and, and, you know, you've already taken some NSAIDs, just, you know, stack a couple pillows up, put your sleep with your leg up on, on the pillow. That way the inflammation, um, can be controlled and we can kind of really get the swelling out of that foot. Um, and, and just kind of things like that. So after you, you know, you kind of turn a corner with it and you get past the acute phase of it, then you can start to, you know, do like heat applications. If you have things like Bengay, Tiger Balm, 
cryoderm, things like that, that will help um, warm up the muscle. And then, you know, you can, you can start to look at moving around. And if you're, if you're selling, you kind of have an idea of what you're doing and you have a, um, you know, you have a injury history um, that you documented in the past and perhaps you can start your own like, you know, post rehab phase, if you will. Um, just trying to get the stability back in your ankle, maybe doing some single leg, um, you know, single leg isometric stand or, or um, some light mo- mobility exercises, etc. That was amazing, Kalei. Um, and Sorry if that was intended. Yeah, I, that was a, I, know, I only speak for myself, but that was a, a, a pleasure listening. Um, yeah. Let's, let's wrap up on, on just two things one to clarify a really awesome point you brought up and another to to get a, a practical takeaway uh so that first being uh can you repeat that awesome and important uh rice acronym what those the r-i-c-e what those um different letters uh represent in that acronym so the r-i-c rice is rest ice compression and elevation I didn't really hit on the compression part because it kind of comes, um, uh, in most cases, hand in hand when you're doing things like icing is just making sure that, let's say you're using an ice pack, just making sure that it's nice and snug against the area that you're actually trying to, um, you know, penetrate. Um, Because I did mention, again, this is, you know, this is more so, these are more so like soft tissue injuries. Um, You need to make sure you're penetrating properly and, and you make sure you have the proper um, compression also with things like ankle injuries um, it's also important to have um, the proper compression as well because it's really hard to make sure you ice the entire area because of the curve of your um, malleolus which is which is what your ankle bone is both medial on the inside and the outside um, so you have to make sure that you have something that wraps around that um, and gets the um, I guess the the surrounding areas of, of where the injury is, because there's typically trauma to those to those areas as well, and it's not it's not always just localized to one specific spot, where you may have um, just point tenderness or or where where it hurts, um, you know, because muscles are obviously they're conjoined and 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 they can stretch over a um, a certain distance, so you want to make sure that you you get the entire muscle um, that way you can you can get the the inflammation well controlled. Fantastic. And then the, the the final piece here on the practical side is you brought up the importance of uh, a warm-up. Um, do you yep. mean, would, would a practical example of a, a nice safe warm-up be um, something like jumping jacks? Or what else do you kind of re- recommend to someone who's at home, they can't go for a nice jog or anything, but they, they can still do some sort of appropriate warm-up? Uh, at home, what do you kind of recommend on the on a practical side? So my personal my personal um, preference when it comes to warm ups is is that they're done in in two phases. The first phase is a general warm up. So for me, for example, what I would do for a general warm up is I would go just outside of my yard and I would run around in a space, um, you know, at a certain pace and in a progressive fashion, meaning that. You know, I may start extremely slow, but, you know, as I feel my respiration start to pick up and as I start to feel my, my heart rate increase, I will progressively increase the pace that I'm going at 
to make sure that um, I get myself to a place where I, I can break a sweat and that I'm breathing at a moderate um, at a moderate pace at least. Um, that way I know that my, my body's um, ready to perform. And again, that I make sure that I break a sweat and a, and a pretty good too um, antsy with trying to incorporate too many um, movements or get into calisthenics right away because funny enough, I've seen people injure themselves trying to warm up. <laughs> so that's kind of why I'm hitting, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to send the message home to make sure that you do it in a progressive um, in a progressive way. So that can be like a snail's pace jog eventually to a moderate jog. And if you have a small space to work with, you know, let's say it's, uh, you know, a 20 by 20, you know, yards, then you just run around that space until that body gets to where it needs to go before you start like, you know, doing calisthenics and lengthening and shortening the muscles, um, you know, too much, um, because sometimes injuries happen in that way. Um, so, you know, that's kind of your first phase. And after you complete that, then you do more exercise specific movements. So if I plan to do, for example, let's say I'm going to do a back squat using a 20 pound rice bag. Well, before I do that, I'm going to make sure that I do air squats first because that's kind of those muscles are specific muscles that I'm going to fire load up later um so i just want to get through the basic movement before i do the loaded movement um so that's kind of kind of what i mean um and just making sure that any movements that i do they're the they're targeting the muscles that i plan to fire um in my working sets um when i'm sure got it that, that's amazing glenn and there's it's uh it's it's fascinating even just behind a warm-up how there's almost a it sounds like there's there's almost like a science or, or these best practices to something like warming up. Absolutely. And, you know, I was talking to um, an audience that was, you know, that was well sound in, in health and human performance. I was, uh, the principles still, still apply here, just like they do in the gym. So that's frequency, intensity, time, and type. Nothing changes much, but, you know, we talked about on the call. But those are basically the fundamentals of, of when you're when you're structuring exercise and, and putting putting together like your selection and all that stuff. Um, but that can be another call on another day. Awesome. Well, thanks, Glenn, for your time. And hopefully everyone who is listening at home has uh, some practical uh, value that's been given to them for, for their movement and for their overall health. Great. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure being on with you. Thanks for having me, Nate.